1: All right. Welcome back to the Barbell Medicine Pain and Rehab Podcast. This is episode six. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Michael Ray. I'm a chiropractor out of Harrisonburg, Virginia. I'm joined with my usual co-host, Dr. Michael Amato, who is a PT out at Boston PT and Wellness, and also with Dr. Derek Miles, who is a PT out at Stanford Children's Hospital. And then we have a special guest today with Dr. Austin Baraki. How's it going, guys? How's it going, Mike?
2: Good,
1: good, good. Al- Alston, do you want to take – I'm pretty sure the majority of people who listen to us know you very, very well, uh, maybe even more than you would like depending on how personal <laughs> people get. Uh, yeah. but would you like to take a few minutes and tell everyone about yourself?
0: Uh, not particularly, but uh, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, okay. Yeah, people, people generally know who I am. I'm an internal medicine physician, practice inpatient setting, do some outpatient to, telemedicine consultation work, barbell medicine coach, lifter, and uh, I think I'm uh, credited as the guy who helped bring you guys on board here, so uh, I'll take credit for that, too. Yes, thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Cool.
1: Um, So, yeah. We wanted to do this podcast today because um, there's some services we offer that I don't think everyone's quite yet aware of with Barbell Medicine since, uh, and this is stuff Austin, you were doing before Derek and I, and then Michael Amato got on board, and then we kind of expanded this pain and rehab division, but we thought it might be good where like all of us get together because we deal with these consultations remotely and programming remotely for people dealing with pain and just kind of discuss some of the common things we deal with, uh, some common mistakes we see people make as they're trying to both train as well as deal with some pain that's going on uh, in their life. So I think this would be really beneficial, if anything, as like a jumping off point for people. And then we'll hopefully do subsequent podcasts and articles on these topics that we commonly deal with.
0: Um, So whoever wants to kick it off. Yeah. I mean, I could just briefly start out with kind of the idea behind the service. Cause as you said, like, you know, I have this, uh, this definite interest in, in pain, um, and injury management and and sports performance and, and, uh, things like that. And so I was already doing a bunch of these kind of, uh, consults and working with people on a, from a rehab capacity, um, primarily barbell lifters. I wasn't like attracting a ton of general population folks to, to do this at that, at that stage, but, because of all the things that I do, it rapidly, you know, exceeded kind of my uh, capacity for uh, for uh, for how many people I could I could work with on this front. And we, me, and you and Derek had been talking for a while at that point. And when we finally, uh, you know, had the idea to bring you guys on board, uh, it was kind of a logical next step from there. Would be to have a more formalized rehab coaching and consultation uh, program that we could set up to get people, uh, you know, get people the help they need that they're really in general, having a hard time accessing elsewhere. I mean, you know, general, uh, uh, chronic pain is a huge issue in the, you know, worldwide. And even among lifters, um, we see it's a, it's a really, really common problem, of course, because it's a universal part of life that we all experience. And there's so much crap out there in terms of the information that people get and people, you know, getting their rehab advice from various, uh, Instagram personalities and things like that. Uh, doesn't tend to work too well most often, so we thought we'd do something that would be a little bit more formalized, a little bit more individualized, where people can get you know the attention they need to, to deal with these issues. And so that was what kind of what led to the idea of getting getting you guys started offering that for us.
1: Yeah, and it's it's been because um, we're just over a year out now since we started doing this service. So it's definitely been uh, a it's been awesome because we've been capable of working with people throughout the world, um, which all of us like Derek. Michael Amato and myself kind of working in a outpatient setting. And we do the majority, um, Derek does a lot of pediatrics now. And then I do just pretty standard, like general population and then sports performance as well. And then Amato, you seem to be in a very similar realm as I with that. Um, feel yeah. free to correct me if I'm wrong. No, yeah, it's about the
2: same, like general population, high school athletes or stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And so then taking it from like our just kind of local area and suddenly being able to talk to people, I mean, I think I've talked to someone on almost every continent but Antarctica at this point, which is pretty awesome, um, It is not something I ever expected. But it. I think the interesting part is, like, the difficulties of coping and dealing with pain seem to be universal. Like, it's it, it's not different so much as, like, from where the person's at that we're talking to, although they may have, like, different beliefs and understanding. Like, everyone's collectively dealing with this stuff. And we tend to still see, like, very similar mistakes with how to cope with it and deal with it universally what do you what do you guys
3: think well i think there's a couple parts to this like one of the nice parts about doing these type of consultations is the fact of you know if anyone on this podcast talking right now got injured it's not like we would typically shut ourselves down to one or two days a week and if you look at like the traditional medical model for rehab that's typically what you're going to see So having these remote consultations allows us to like have conversations to where we're staying typically within the constraints of the athlete's normal split, like a three or four day split and allows you to keep that same regularity to your training schedule versus like let's come into clinic and play with the yellow band today. And I think that's been one of the great parts about starting this that I wasn't really expecting was the fact of, just being able to keep people on their regular schedule and as they work around or work through the problem.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a, a huge plus. Like, we could talk about uh, dosage of exercise, especially as it relates from like once someone starts dealing with pain symptoms and kind of trying to diminish the loss of baseline fitness levels for that athlete, which is, I think, something all of us strive to do while people are working through pain based
3: issues. I think what we tend to realize is that a lot of these issues are common occurrences across a broad spectrum of training programs, and a lot of it comes down to being able to properly dose in what an athlete needs in order to do as much as they can to stay athletic during rehab, as well as continue to make gains in the areas they can make gains. Yeah, probably. So sometimes one of the, there, uh, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. One of those. <laughs> one, of,
0: okay, awesome. one of the bigger challenges i think is and and this is not un, unlike what what is dealt with in more in the outpatient setting but dealing with a lot of the ideas and narratives that people come in with but in this setting a lot of it has to do with what they've come in with either from their social group from their doctor or even from their coach And maybe they've been, you know, working with their coach or their coach has been doing something to try to help them get around it. But maybe it's continued to involve inappropriate dosing of activity or continuing to give them inaccurate narratives about what could be going on. And that leads to, of course, inappropriate, you know, uh, approaches to treatment. And so trying to work through and or around those things, um, I think there's probably an added challenge to working around those things when you're not actually physically face-to-face with somebody and you're trying to like change their mind around the world via webcam or something like that. What do you guys think about that?
3: Um, I certainly, I think it kind of cuts both ways because there is that because face-to-face you do tend to get some of the body language side of things to where you can pick up on how the message is being received. However, there's also that foot and mouth disease that comes with face-to-face where sometimes the governor between brain and mouth doesn't stop in time, whereas (laughs) on the online consults, you're sitting there and typing out a response. So I do think sometimes the semantics are actually a little bit easier control in that just because you have that second pause of like, is this exactly what I wanted to say? Yeah, I think there's also like, uh, fortunately
1: for us, because we're attached with Barbell Medicine, there's a certain level of indoctrination a lot of times before people even get on the phone with us. So like they're familiar with our content on pain a lot of times or with how we approach programming and stuff like that. So that helps out a ton that may not happen in clinic or in person for us.
0: So there's some degree of selection bias that can help, but uh, I think there's also some degree of selection bias also uh, that can be quite difficult to work through. um, If you get what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, I mean.
3: (laughs) I think there are certain programming backgrounds that tend to gravitate towards us and that can be awesome because we're trying to work on getting them to not be quite as, dogmatic in their approach to training which may be contributing to some of the injuries they're experiencing but you know it can be a little bit of a beat your head against the wall because we're trying to get them to not be as dogmatic in their programming and see that there are other ways with which to train yeah belief change is hard
1: regardless of like the topic of discussion whether it's pain or programming um i think this is a good segue for kind of some of the things that we commonly see. And I think we've already kind of touched on like why we do this. It's mostly because we feel as though, um, A, we can help people out on this stuff because we deal a lot with pain and with people working through quote-unquote injuries and trying to maintain some level of dosage of exercise so they're not losing baseline fitness. Um, But also we feel like, you know, we can help people with a lot of these common issues that we're seeing. And our hope is not just like, oh, you know, get addicted to us doing programming for you and create this dependency. But more than anything, it's to instill self-efficacy in, efficacy in people to self-manage. I think that's all of our like collective hope. But some of the common things that we see a lot of are going to be uh, sprains, uh, strains, tendinopathies, uh, low back pain. We see a ton of uh, rotator cuff-related pain syndrome or rotator cuff-related shoulder pain, which is just like an umbrella term for generalized shoulder pain where we're not trying to pin anything down, um, hip pain. I, when I was typing this list out, I was like really, really struggling with not giving these ideas of like biological drivers and typing out like femoral acetabular impingement syndrome or whatever, which is actually pretty difficult to not do. Um, and then just like generalized groin pain, which could be like adductor strains or tendinopathies, uh, One of our non favorite terms like athletic uh, pubalgia, which is just like persistent groin pain. So, So those are some of the things like we all collectively tend to see a lot of. And so if you're like dealing with those, then we're pretty used to
3: helping people through some of those issues. Do
1: you guys have anything to add to that?
3: I think sometimes it's even just having the option for the one-time consultation of the is this symptom okay and what do I need to modify it doesn't necessarily need full on programming sometimes it's more of a like you're here you're certainly on the right track if you change these one or two little minor variables it'll likely get you over the hump for where you're trying to go yeah And sometimes I think for athletes, it really is, you just hit that valley of uncertainty of like, am I doing this right to address it, especially with things that tend to have a little bit longer of a prognosis, like tendinopathies or like a ridiculous low back pain to where you you may have some symptoms for a few months. And sometimes it really is just having that conversation of like, this is okay. It's almost like we're like the grandma that is Helping someone raise the child, it's like, yeah, you're freaking out about this, but it's perfectly normal. Yeah, yeah. Th- I think there's, I think there's like a
0: whole spectrum of needs in this kind of scene, and I think what we're trying to do is to try to cover as much of that spectrum as possible. So, you know, we hear about people, there are tons of people who comment all the time in our Facebook group or or message us or post and tag us and stuff about how maybe they just watched one of our videos or watched one of our articles. And with that knowledge that they were then armed with, they were able to, you know, completely, you know, fix their issue and get back to their normal life and training. And they learned that valuable skill that they can carry with them forward. So that's like the, the people with the, the least, kind of needs here um, just from like watching a, Five minute YouTube video or something. Uh, Maybe it's like from our four steps to managing pain in the gym or something like that. But you know, the next step up might be somebody who's like, okay, but I need maybe some more specific guidance for what I do for my knee pain or something. And so there's an option of like the the rehab temp, the knee rehab template or whatever other kind of the back, low back pain uh, kind of template approach where they can try to still run the thing on their own. And we've had some people who've reported great results from it. And of course, as you would expect with with any kind of a standardized program, there's some people who say, you know, I I ran it and maybe didn't work quite as well for me. And so maybe they're candidates for people who need a little bit more uh, individualized guidance. Maybe they need more than just a programming approach. Maybe they need some more of the education piece, the belief change, because the most common issue probably with those people is maybe a misinterpretation of what the pain means and then how to, you know, their learned responses to it in terms of what they should do about it. And so maybe that requires a one-time consult and that might be enough for them where, You know, we talk to them and educate them about it, what it means, and how to move forward. Or maybe they need at kind of the highest level of, of intervention needs. Maybe they need longer term programming. And those people tend to need a whole lot of TLC to, to work through these issues and recognizing that especially with persistent pain kind of stuff, that it's gonna be an up and down process and setting expectations that, hey, we had a good day today, but you know, there's gonna be ups and downs. If you have a setback next time, what are you gonna be able to do to to work through that rather than as soon as it happens, like freak out and go run back to the go run back to the to the ER to get more imaging done of this thing or something like that. And so there's this whole spectrum and trying to cover that whole spectrum of needs, I think, is is a big aim aim here but the universal goal across the whole spectrum is as mike said to provide people with the knowledge the skills and the strategies to be able to move forward and self-manage these things as much as possible in the future yeah
1: i think there's a lot of good points there um it seems to be like especially once pain is pain is entered into the discussion there's a a lot of misinformation that we're hoping to correct uh just like in general as, as a company through barbell medicine and then um be while correcting that misinformation, there tends to be a lot of once you're experiencing symptoms, what are the meaning of these symptoms? Is this something I should be concerned with to, to what Derek was talking about? Or can we provide reassurance? And then a, a huge hurdle that all of us have heard talk about collectively is finding an entry point of tolerable level of activity to just build from. And then once you have that entry point, you know it's gaining a new understanding about how to self-manage and build from there back to the level of activity you want to, to be able to do.
3: Yeah, I mean, I certainly have had athletes before who I've even said if they wanted programming, we need to go do two weeks of the same thing and then come back for me and we'll start formal programming just because there needs to be a little bit of a base laid out before we're probably ready to start touching barbells again. And, you know, I think that's a, a fine way of approaching it, especially for an acute issue to where there does need to be some specific activity modification. But once we start getting to where we know things are, Healed and a little bit more ready to go, then it's time to get the process started.
1: Yeah, so I think um, the next thing that would probably help people to discuss would be some of the common mistakes that we see with people who are trying to work through pain based issues. And maybe they've not quite talked to us yet, or uh, maybe they have, but they're still kind of having issues with it. What are some common mistakes that you guys tend to see with people who are trying to train, but also are dealing with pain based
3: symptoms? I think overreaching would be the biggest one to where it is. We do have those days of waxing and waning of symptoms and, you know, we want to take advantage of the days where we are feeling better, but to a point point. and the hardest thing I think for a lot of athletes going through rehab and I'll even say myself and included in the set is when you know what you were able to do before you got injured, slowly progressing back into it instead of trying to chunk it and take huge steps on the days you are feeling better. I think a lot of times, athletes, you have a day where you're feeling good, and all of a sudden, that jump from two twenty-five to three fifteen seems like a really good idea. Before you really start thinking about the percentage jump that that's going to be, and we end up having a setback from there. And a lot of it is like trying to understand to uh, to go back to the common phrase that this is a process, and. A series of small steps is going to be leaps and bounds when it comes to training progression just about every time.
2: Mm-hmm. It's kind of like trying to define like where you're going instead of trying to go backwards to some you know kind of skewed view of what you used to do.
3: That's an interesting way of looking at it is like if you are actually trying to go backwards at that point if you're trying to get to where you were in prior levels of training.
2: Yeah, I and not everyone, and not everyone needs that conversation, but sometimes I do explore that. And it's like, you know, like w- when are we talking about, like are we talking about like last week? And that, that's more realistic, but are we talking like 6, 12, 18 months ago? Because then we have to kind of define like where we're going towards. And that, that's not like a setback, but, you know, you could end up in a better place than you were like 18 months ago but
3: but then the other thing whenever we have like muscle injuries like hamstring injuries or something like that it really is having that conversation of this is going to feel good before it actually is good and making sure that we're not pushing beyond the physiological limits of what we know And I think that's the issue a lot of times as well, is you'll have athletes that will be going through a rehab process and start feeling better. And they're like, heck yeah, I can go ham today. And not understanding that even though things aren't feeling good and we want that to happen, that we still have a higher risk of re-injury at this point. We're not quite through through the rehab zone of things where we're ready to go ham in the gym again. Yeah, it's like the double sort of like using symptoms as a guide. Because you can use symptoms
2: as a guide to dictate tolerable training positions and exercises. But then like if symptoms are no longer there, you know, what's kind of guiding your decision making beyond that?
1: Yeah, I think overreaching would certainly be at the top of the list. And then on the other end of the spectrum of training would probably be some fear avoidance behaviors, especially with like uh some persistent pain cases or catastrophizing, or kind of just worrisome thoughts about the meaning of pain that someone's experiencing, and then how do they return to activity, especially if they're still experiencing symptoms. So I think that would be on the other end of the spectrum of like, they're not wanting to do things that they want to be able to do, or they're not doing things they want to be able to do for fear of the meaning of symptoms, where I definitely think like, that's a huge educational component that we can come in and kind of talk to people about.
3: Yeah, I would agree with that. A lot of this does come down to that, like, where do we start? But the nice part about the programming side of things there is, you know, through looking back over the prior weeks, it's really easy for someone to be able to see progress. Whereas I I think sometimes even in clinic, it's like, well, you know, we started out with a training bar and now you're up to 95 pounds. And in, it doesn't quite make the same impression coming out of my mouth versus, well, if you look back on your program three weeks ago on the weight that you checked in at, like you've made 50% yeah. progress. And we still may be having symptoms, but look at how much more you can do now.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a, a great point is having the ability to track kind of those markers and, then, and show, you know, what we would call objective, progress well, but i think
3: just being able to demonstrate that a lot of times because part of the whole if symptoms have been going on for a while it is that frustration where you feel like you're stuck but the more we can get athletes to see that they are making some progress and, and there is a path that they can follow the better off we can actually like walk down the path with them
0: I agree with, uh, with Derek that, you know, overreaching is one of the biggest issues that we run into with this kind of thing. But I guess the other thing that I'd be curious about with on an individual basis is, is why that tendency is so prevalent. And I think there's probably a lot of individual factors that drive that tendency towards overreaching, um, some of it definitely has to do with whatever somebody's like prior training, knowledge, experience, the ideas they have, their whatever their level of indoctrination may be. Um, maybe they have certain beliefs about, you know, that training has to be just like brutally hard in order to make progress. Or they, one of the most common ones that I see is people who have this idea that everything has to be accomplished, like everything in training in terms of progression needs to be accomplished as as rapidly as efficiently as quote unquote optimally as possible and and basically the the kind of the logical conclusion of that at least from their perspective is that any amount of time not spent adding weight to the bar represents wasted time and if and and nobody wants to go to the gym and feel like they're wasting time but if that's the, if those are the ideas that you have coming in um then you're kind of setting yourself up for failure from a rehab standpoint because you're not gonna be you're not gonna be uh, the type to pull back as much as you need to because every pound you take off the bar is like this punch in the gut and then every session that you spend uh, at that level of intensity again as Derek said relative to what you know you were previously capable of is like a further punch in the gut and so people just the combination of those ideas and beliefs kind of, uh, conspire. So to, to the point where people end up doing either too much work or progress too rapidly and, 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 uh, you know, their symptoms end up persisting and they get frustrated. And, uh, and the, the really interesting thing about it is that, you know, even when you point out what's happening to, to some of these people, like the depth of their belief in, in certain training methods, for example, even when you point out, it's like, well, this isn't working, but, and, but then, you know, they're, they're in their mind, there's like, this is the best way. It, ha- it, 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 it always is supposed to work perfectly. So if it's not working, then I must be doing something wrong. And that's a really difficult belief to overcome with some of these people.
1: The Barbell Medicine Pain and Rehab Seminar is coming to Boston on November the 2nd and the 3rd this year. The seminar is dedicated to helping attendees understand and implement scientific principles into clinical practice in order to provide evidence-based care to the patients dealing with pain and the rehabilitative process. The seminar is appropriate for clinicians, coaches, trainers, and any general public member who wishes to increase their knowledge about pain, rehab, and case-specific exercise prescriptions. Lecture topics will include evidence-based practice, pain education, hip pain, shoulder pain, low back pain, youth resistance training, and ACL rehabilitation. The course will be lecture-based involving audio and visual presentations and includes breakout sessions where participants will practically apply the information they are learning. Breakout sessions will include exercise prescriptions involving variations of movements such as the squat, the deadlift, bench press, overhead press, and dynamic loading. After completion of this two-day seminar, attendees will have a broad understanding of the current best scientific evidence regarding these topics and how to apply such knowledge to clinical practice. Every seminar will include a question and answer section with myself and Dr. Derek Miles, and we will spend time going over all of your questions. To find out more details about this seminar, just go to our website at barbellmedicine.com and click on the seminar tab. We do have an early bird special that will be expiring soon that involves $99 off of the standard retail price.
3: Well, it's one of those things where, you know, I don't think any one of us go check our 401k every day and expect it to continually go up and it really is the same type of investment It's just in our physical health versus our retirement health and, you know, I think Looking at it as such does help sometimes just because you see that there's going to be ebbs and flows to what's going on. And with those ebbs and flows, though, it is the natural progression of really where your training is. And I don't think if you talk to anyone who has been training for a decade or even five years, they're going to tell you that they constantly made gains through that. And they they may tell you that, but I guarantee if you look back through their actual training log, that's not going to be the case. There's going to be some stalls in there and seeing those stalls and realizing, Hey, we did have to work through some problems in the past. It's just like it it was, I don't post my uh, no PR days on my Insta page. It's hard to look back and see that those occurred, but for some odd reason I didn't make a post from March to July it's almost like magically something happened there in my memory to where the squat didn't end up on the gram that day
0: yeah <laughs> yeah i definitely uh see that issue super commonly and, and again i think it just is is an unfortunate consequence of people failing to recognize how just how long term of a process this can be um and and we have so many people who come in again as beginners and they're you know, you get spoiled when you're a beginner, uh, I think uh, you get mentally spoiled in terms of how rapid a progress you can make. And then if, if those expectations aren't corrected, or, or tempered relatively early on, then people can end up getting themselves into trouble. Because if the expectation is that, you know, you need to continue making as rapid of progress as humanly possible. Um, you know, I, I just think that that's so profoundly unrealistic, on a long-term training scale of like a decade-long training scale, for example. I mean, I've had a number of setbacks with with elbows and knees and and back stuff and and all of it's ultimately has always gotten better and I've always been able to come back stronger from every setback I've, I've ever had. And so that's now the mindset that I take into future setbacks is, is that very same idea but uh, it's it still is a struggle to feel like you're not wasting time when you go to the gym and you're not lifting you know up to your up to your known potential so the idea of the the process I think is probably like the biggest barrier that we run up into when trying to educate people and get them, get through to them about that it's a process and that just because something hurts on one day and not on another you know you're not uh, you know the, the the idea that you're not actively damaging things more is such a, another common common issue that people that leads people to just you know, run away from engaging the the threatening activity, so to speak.
1: To give a shout out to Charlie Dixon, our PT intern, our student PT intern, he did a really good article kind of touching on all these points about embracing the process. So if you are a listener and you've not read that, go to our website, barbellmedicine.com and look that up. Uh, Do you guys remember the official title of that?
0: I think it's just called Embracing the Process. That's what I thought.
1: Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I think uh, we're kind of touching on like misconceptions at this point. And Austin, you said something that is definitely a prevalent issue for us to deal with and try to work around or work through with education, especially for those beginners who go out and start a program. I think for a beginner, that's like prime indoctrination time where you do set the expectation of like, this is what training's about. This is what we're trying to accomplish. Here's how we measure quote unquote progress to you. And this is what's important. And that's where people really can fall into that uh, pitfall of like, I've got to constantly be adding weight to my lifts in order to have measured progress. And that's all that matters to the point that they really just start disregarding their subjective feeling of the, of the approach in the process.
0: Yeah, part of that is why, you know, although it was a controversial decision and one that involved a lot of discussion and debate um, when we when we proposed some sort of a beginner approach to actually introduce the application and utility of subjective metrics, um, you know, from from day one, basically so that we don't get through this early rapid beginner phase and then have to undo a lot of these expectations and narratives that get kind of baked in along the way, and getting people to understand that hey, you know, some of that subjective stuff is really valuable. Uh, in, in many ways, both when training is going well and when it's going poorly. Uh, so that, that's kind of what one, one reason why we ended up doing that is is to, to overcome that to try to mitigate or, or even prevent that kind of mindset from getting baked in for, for the, through the first you know eight, 10, 12 weeks of training
3: that is really prevalent. Yeah,
0: And it, go
1: ahead,
3: Derek. I think part of this even gets at you're learning the technique of the movement. So there's going to be a lot of variability in there. So if we put in things like RPE early on, you're learning that variability as you're learning what hard is and it helps you regulate versus the like, yeah, that rep looked awful, but I was able to grind it out and like, well, let's be honest with myself that I really have two more reps and there's going to be a lot of variance in that early on. And that's just, part of the process as well yeah it's expected yeah
1: and i think um it can get complicated because i think a lot of people tend to assign like some part of their identity to this process like if i go into the gym and i don't make objectifiable progress on a lift then it's almost as if like they're not living up to their expectations uh, as who they are and so, I mean, I even have these discussions with, like, my student-athletes where I'm like, hey, you know, this is awesome. This is a part of you, but don't let this be the you, if, if you guys know what I mean.
2: Talking about ontology
3: now? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <daughter. laughs> <laughs> Do we all stream now because uh, Amado said the word of the day? No. I need, like,
2: a counter. You need, like, a like a a meter um yeah (laughs) no it's a good point though it's like trying to figure out again like what's meaningful to that person but uh not letting it dominate the entire uh experience and trying to find meaning and some other things too
1: right i need like a voiceover for word of the day
0: (laughs) (laughs) one other one one other, uh, one other barrier or or misconception or issue I think that we sometimes run into again we like the running theme here is it seems to have to do a lot with like the ideas and the beliefs and the indoctrination that people bring in with them to the the, to the rehab process and one issue has to do with like the exercise selection that we sometimes run into so I know that like you know if you if you program somebody to do like say you have them do a unilateral exercise or uh, a dumbbell movement or something like that and they're like a hardcore you know barbell only, low bar squat only, you know, strength training, powerlifting type, um, even that tends to generate a little bit of pushback from people because it's perceived as like fluff, waste of time stuff versus, you know, a way to, you know, get you training <laughs> in some fashion that is going to have some, some utility that will help us uh, get around the issue or desensitize the, the the affected area or, you know, just incorporate it into a bigger, a bigger plan. You guys run into issues with that sometimes?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Barbell is life for sure. For, for for some mindsets, like if we're not squat, bench pressing and deadlifting, it's like, why are we doing this? And it's like, well, we gotta, we gotta think a little bit more broadly here.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think there are moments where you end up having to have that conversation of, believe it or not, there is more to life than squat bench and deadlift. And you get so ingrained in it. And, you know, a lot of these athletes aren't even like platform athletes. They've just gotten into the system. And if you're not a platform athlete, there, I mean, even if you are a platform athlete, you can certainly make a very strong case that you need some variability in your program. But if you're not, there is absolutely no reason why you need to just stick to the big three. And you're training. You should be happy with the fact you're training. And sometimes that involves doing an exercise that may not be part of whatever camp you're in. Now I don't think you need to have seven bands attached to you in a foam roller while standing upside down on a BOSU ball, but who knows, we might pick up a Cirque de Soleil athlete at some point and need to break out something like that.
1: Do you, um, I think this is a good question that I've heard Austin talk about before. And I think we've all discussed is like, it obviously comes down to the person's goals, like whether they want to be a platform athlete or whether they just are training for their own uh, benefit, which could be related to like, I just want to see how much I can squat, bench press and deadlift, which still is an argument for having variability. But also, do you especially um, see with people like this kind of um, misunderstanding of like training? with those types of goals versus training for health and people think like, well, I've got to be adding weight to, to get these health benefits that we know about.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, and, and, you know, with, with a substantial portion of, of our audience and the ideas they come into us from, um, it really, I feel like they, they take this, uh, you know, it starts from a very reductionist principle, right? So this idea that strength is everything, is kind of the the, the 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 seed that sprouts into this nightmare that we end up dealing with later on, where it's like, okay, so if strength is everything, we need to get you know as strong as physically possible at you know all at all costs, basically, no matter no matter what else we have to do to get there to get. The heaviest possible, you know, five RM squat or five RM deadlift or whatever the case is, and um, that leads to a number again of subsequent like, you know, if you're if you're within that kind of silo, then sure, these conclusions may superficially appear to make sense, but the way they practically play out for most of these people, um, you know, is usually not ideal. So if, if you're starting out with that principle, you have to, you know, choose a certain set of exercises, you have to progress them as rapidly as humanly possible. If you're not adding weight, you're wasting time. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're doing anything but the hardest possible thing at any given time, you're, you're weak willed, you're a bad person, you're a, you're right. a pussy, whatever. And, and those are like, just some of the most frustrating things to work with from a rehab front because we have to, it's not just like we peel back one layer and say, you know, it's okay if you don't go as heavy as possible every day or it's okay if you don't do these very specific lifts uh, you know, we're trying to peel back all the way to beginning and like just extract that root from the ground and be like, this is not the absolute, you know, foundation of your entire existence that you need to base your like value on and stuff like that. So that's like, I mean, some of this stuff goes real, real deep with people yeah. and, it's, and it's profoundly difficult.
1: Yeah. I think people forget like, um, and we, I know we've all talked about this. If you're training for health, like just to get, health benefits like just meeting the national physical activity guidelines is a really first positive start which i don't really care if that involves a barbell or not
0: yeah. um you know you know, it, that's not necessary yeah you can achieve it in any number of ways and it's fine if you do it that way <laughs> yeah so it's it's
1: it's weird like when we get into the cultural and social beliefs behind training paradigms and like why people are doing what they're doing but it's definitely a necessary part of the conversation I think the other big thing, too, as we see a lot of that just kind of came to mind is this idea of like, I've got to do these very specific exercises uh, to get myself, quote unquote, out of pain, which I know we've, we've talked about before. Um, but they think like, if I don't do this at this this way or this type of exercise, like an easy example of this what we've talked about previously is like the McGill Big Three is like, then I'm going to forever be in pain, which then also conditions them to think that if they miss a day, then the whole world's going to unravel uh, underneath them, have you guys experienced that as well? Totally,
2: <laughs> yeah. People, I mean, people, yeah. people come in with their like list of things that they've been doing for five to ten years because so and so told them to do it. So,
0: I mean, Mike, you just told me about uh, Mike told me about a case you had about this recently. A guy who was doing the McGill Big Three for a year straight, twice a day, yeah. and was getting nowhere <laughs> with it. And, and, it's my and at, like
1: completely removed parts of their identity that they really enjoyed aspects of training like resistance training like that was gone for like over a year and had the mindset that if they didn't do these mcgill big three then they were going to forever have persistent low back pain Uh, and that's really tough uh, I mean, it it sounds like an easy conversation because you just come in and you're like, well, you don't really have to do that. But that's much <laughs> easier, said, much easier said than when you're trying to break through that barrier
0: and work well, on those I, I think one of the issues, and and that's super common there, and and I know was is an issue with that particular individual. It was that you know one of the lifter or some of the lifters or the personalities in the scene that he like looked up to that were viewed as authorities. They yeah. had themselves like either worked with worked with McGill or endorsed him or whatever, and so that like authority ends up you know amplifying the power of the potency that of the message the depth which which it buries into their brains
1: yeah it's it's a thought virus like and once it's in there i'm like i i don't know how long this is going to take to get out (laughs) yeah
3: yeah uh, that gets we always have that conversation of like have you considered doing less (laughs) And when someone comes in with like 10 exercises that somebody has told them are is functional, then it's like, well, you're doing all this and then you're trying to train on top of it. Maybe if we pair back half of this, we can get your workout back under two hours and you can start enjoying it again. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's almost like, um, I mean, a lot of this is ritualistic. The whole idea of training is ritualistic. But that's, I think, for especially for like when we're talking about pain, that It really gets indoctrinated that they have to do this, and if they don't do it, bad things are going to happen to them, which is just a horrible, horrible place to be in. But unfortunately, it happens a lot by perceived authority figures.
3: Well, I think it also gets back to that kind of prior side of things and why we really try and be careful with what we say And, you know, we run into this a lot of times to where somebody with 200,000 followers is out saying, if someone's questioning the evidence behind what you're doing, you shouldn't listen to them because obviously they don't train. It's like, nah, dude, that's, that's not how this whole science thing works. It's funny, like in the weight room, it's like Pixar, it didn't happen. And then with your treatment method, it's like, nah, man, it's, it's just my opinion. It's like, I'm going to go around and start telling everybody I squatted 700 pounds and see if they trust me when I say it's just my opinion. It really happened, bro. And yep. when we talk about the evidence, that's how we accept a lot of these things. It's like, can you put up you doing some crazy treatment or doing something that is like completely contrary to what the evidence says and have it still work?
1: I think the tough part is like I've talked to some of these people on remote consults over this past year. And I don't ask this, but they reveal to me like how much they've spent on these "quote unquote" like guru programs and consultations, and my mind is blown every time because I'm like, "What? Like that costs that amount of money? That it just doesn't make sense to me."
3: Desperation. I mean, what? Yeah, it's and it's one of these things where it gets back to this like marketing versus substance and you can have a lot of things to where programs get promoted and I would say to people listening to this if it has pain-free in the like title of it there's a chance it's probably suspect because I highly doubt any of us should expect to go through the rest of our life without some episode of pain yeah it'd be a really weird experience if we're being honest and bulletproof if it has bulletproof run away
1: But that is an expectation that I think is a misconception, Um, is this? it gets set that, because I've seen this from other, like we'll consult on prior rehab professional cases where they've already seen a clinician, whether MD, DC, PT, or whatever, and they're like, well, they told me I couldn't do this until it's completely pain-free, so I've just not done it. And I'm like, well, you know, I understand why they're saying what they're saying, but it actually is going to be okay if you have some symptoms, as long as it's tolerable doing this. And then that helps us find that like initial step into activity to get them to do the things they want to be able to do. But that's a very common
3: common theme. Well, but I think it also gets into some of the nuance of this because obviously we talked about instances where things feel great you shouldn't do right. things and instances where you're having some symptoms and it's perfectly okay. And some of this really is contingent upon the condition itself. And it's why it, it is beneficial to speak to someone with a good understanding of both physiology and a lifting background because there typically are plenty of things we can do. Occasionally, we get so hung up on the thing, the one thing we can't do that we forget that there's 10,000 other things we can. And sometimes we get a little bit too fearful of the one thing that we probably should start doing that it's hard to reintroduce it without a little bit of guidance. Yeah. If, if you guys were to... Try to distill down some
0: advice for some of the people who maybe are in a position where they can try to attempt to self-manage, maybe before seeking out, uh, you know, a, a more formalized consultation or something. What would be kind of the biggest things that you would suggest for from a self-management standpoint for people?
1: I think. Uh, go ahead, Derek.
3: I was going to say one of the biggest things is just slow down. Like, it, uh, whenever you have a setback you need to put a little bit of a governor in place most of the time and not just try and add five pounds just because you think you can grind it out. There's absolutely nothing wrong with taking some weight off the bar and having a deload for a little while, while things are healing or while symptoms are settling out. And if you can follow that heuristic, that will take care of a lot of things on its own. It's just having that internal conversation of saying I can work through this I just need to be honest with myself about how I'm feeling and then if you look at a lot of the things regarding strains and tendinopathies it really is like slow tempo loading is one of the biggest things we really have for it and sometimes In the case of anterior knee pain, we may need to take out squats for a little while in lieu of leg press. And it's okay to try other exercises while you're going through the process itself.
1: Yeah. I I mean, we have um, a couple of articles out on this and YouTube videos and like our usual. The first thing I say to people is if you have... A fear of what the pain means, I would just get a consultation, whether that's by a trusted local clinician or by one of us, I would talk to someone about it because that can lead you down a very not great road. If you have a a fundamental misunderstanding of pain and you're fearful of the meaning, if you can get on the phone or you can talk to someone in person you trust about it, then you probably can get put down a much better path for working through the issue once we can address those beliefs and, and thoughts. With that said, the common like training approach that we talk about pretty regularly is, um, and it's such a we say it in such general terms. People are like, oh yeah, it's just load management, but there's a lot of nuance to that discussion where people are like, well, I just didn't uh, add five this week and I'm like, well, that's not quite what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> like there's more to this it's just like
0: didn't add five pounds load management check
1: right <laughs> it was a grind and i almost died and thankfully i had safety bars but you know i didn't add weight but uh so we try to talk to people about that like load management could be uh, if you're using rpe which we hope you are you're dropping a point off rpe to help manage internal intensity And it it should manage your external intensity as well by doing that. But uh, some people will be in like uh, particular blocks that are very focused on top singles for, for strength. And I'm like, hey, maybe we just back off of that and we go to, you know, threes and fives or eights even. Like depending on the severity and how symptomatic you are, we may just completely inverse volume. And like that's load management. Or we change frequencies of days of training. Like you've been squatting three days. Maybe we go to two. And see how that does or you've been resting on a tuesday thursday maybe we rest on a tuesday wednesday like stuff like that like it is such a a nuanced discussion that i think gets broad stroked very often on the internet whereas there's a lot more to it so that would be like the secondary step and then if you're still having issues with that uh, uh, the next thing could be changing range of motion of the exercise or even changing to derek's point exercise selection like all of your gains with the Z would not be lost if we took a couple of weeks and stepped away from barbell back squat and did a leg press. Like it's not going to be the end of the world, I promise you.
0: Yeah, and even on top of that, even if you end up having to do something different or take pull that out for longer, you know, reacquiring said gains is also perfectly feasible. Right. Like I said, I mean, I've had periods of time where I had to completely, you know, go down, like on my bench press, for example, I've had to go all the way back down to literally like the empty bar for sets of 15 with tempo yeah. or something. And then, you know, like three months later putting up, you know, a PR single or something like that. So it's like, you know, the, it just doesn't disappear like that. And even to the extent that you detrain that may be, you know, part uh, required part of the process, so to speak, um, because trying to avert any degree of detraining at all times may be part of the dosage right. problem. Um, so I definitely agree with, you know, Derek's initial, uh, recommendation about slowing things down about both of you guys talking about not being afraid to alter, uh, really any variable is fine to alter if it, if it can, you know, be part of a, uh, goal directed process. And then I really like, you know, the general advice we tend to give where, uh, not being super afraid of being, you know. Uh, symptomatic to any degree during your session. I agree that, you know, the, the, the idea that the, the pain-free training idea, um, is one that's unrealistic and generates some harmful kind of consequences. And so, you know, we like the, the idea of training to tolerable symptoms, whatever that means for you, and then paying attention to some degree, not overly focusing on it, but just, Hey, if your symptoms are like way worse after the session, the next day, the next day, then your dose was too high and pulled, and you just have to say, okay, this is my signal that I need to probably pull the dose back a little bit. Um, And, you know, people can acquire these skills and they can put them into practice for themselves. I have several clients who have just learned this stuff over time. And even just this past week, two of them sent me check-ins that were just – They made my day because they said, you know, I had some accumulating aches, you know, in my elbow or my back during this past week of training. But I know that, you know, it's been a super, super stressful period of time. I have had like some, some sleep uh, issues, but my next week is looking like it's going to be improving on that front and I can pull back on the load a little bit. And I think I'm going to be just fine. And I'm like, that's like the best thing that I can hear because, Hey, you, you know exactly what to do. You have the skills, the strategies, the confidence to take care of this by yourself. And it makes your life better. It makes my job easier. It's just good. All around.
1: Those are literally my favorite emails. When someone, when someone's like, like I've done, I've done working with them, and they email me, and they're like, "Hey, I had this creep up, but here's my game plan. Here's what I'm doing, and everything's turning out well." I'm like, "Yes, like (laughs) we communicated, and we were on the same page through this process."
3: Yeah. But I think there's something else that you mentioned there that is worth bringing up that I end up talking to a lot of athletes about, and it's sleep management. And if you're having some type of setback or issue and you've only been sleeping four hours a night or five hours a night because of some stress at work or tests at school, like getting that under control is one of the most integral things to getting back to where you're trying to go. And it it can't be overstated enough that having adequate sleep tends to really affect recovery from things. And if you're just trying to grind it out because you know you can get to the gym after you've had three hours of sleep the last four nights and you're going to go in and try and hit your prior numbers, that's probably not the smartest way to go about it. You can still get to the gym. You can still get some work in, but it, likely it does need to be down regulated a lot because you're fatigued. No, it sounds like you're just going to be, you're just a pussy if you do that. Right. Eric.
0: Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: You, you are not culturally accepted. I, I should bring Erica on this right now because if we want to talk about sleep deprivation, a uh, 10 week old infant. Uh, She's probably at the the worst of it right now, Uh, but that's exactly what we do. Like I'm programming for her and we make alterations based on stuff like that.
3: Well, I think it takes a long time to be comfortable going to the gym and racking up your squat that day and it being 10% lower than where you were last week and conceding like, okay, I'm good here. Yeah. And that's a skill that has to be learned. And it it is that whole like I think it it can only come with age likely just because you have to be able to say like, all right, um, I don't have anything to prove here to anyone today. This training is for my own benefit and I'm in it for the long game. Yeah. The long game is, key. I
1: would rather talk to people and I say this all the time. I'd rather talk to you in like 15 years and you're still telling me how you're training and enjoying it and like leading a productive life for you versus like
0: you fizzled out a year later or 12 weeks later, dude.
3: Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, writing the whole youth piece, one of the big themes that comes out is if you want to burn somebody out, make them strive for perfection. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of these programs teach like either you need to have perfect form on every rep or you have to show this progression through adding weight every week. And it's like no wonder people stop doing those programs like nothing about that sounds fun if I was expected to be perfect at my day job every day, every time, like I'm probably going to go find another career. Like we, we learn from our mistakes and unfortunately like you have to make them, but it really is like the things that end up making you better along the way. A lot of these
2: scenarios also seem like opportunities for people to like just get good at something different or something new. And that can like still kind of, like it may not be the main objective Uh, At that point, but it's at least something that can keep you engaged and like come out the other end better, better for it. Like kind of Austin was saying, like you may have to take a big step back, but it may end up in a uh, actual performance enhancement down the road.
0: Yeah, I'm about to PR my reverse grip bench, so (laughs) that's cool. Yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah. (laughs) which I kind of want to try out now, but I feel like I'm just a groupie at this point. If I start. Yeah, it yeah, is the hot
2: a, trend, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is the fall, like, hot boy summer thing. <laughs>
1: yeah. Hashtag reverse grip bench. That might be too long yeah. for a hashtag. <laughs> all right. Anything else you guys want to chat about? No, I think that's it. I think we have some good takeaways. Yeah. Hopefully, um, you guys who are listening find this beneficial. Obviously, if you do decide that you need help, um, first, I would say go check out all of our content. Like, we all put out... A plethora of information on pain, on rehab, on training, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook or the forums or on our website, uh, podcast and YouTube, check this stuff out. A lot of it, uh, I think people will be impressed that they can self-manage a lot of things after kind of going through our approach to this and how we talk about pain and approach to training and rehab. If you're still struggling with it after that, then by all means, either find a trusted source locally or reach out to us for remote consultation. We do a lot of one-off consultations where we just give you guidance and our recommendations, and then we send you on your way, and you can have future checkups if you decide you need that. And then if you feel like you need a little more um, intensive kind of work with us, we'll do consultation with regular programming. So those are the options to work with any of us, and hopefully this has been beneficial for everyone. Thanks for listening. See ya.